Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Unerasable Stories. Today, we wanted to create a special episode to honor those who lost their lives in the attacks on the morning of September 11th. This episode contains audio from some of the voicemails left for friends and family members by people aboard the two planes to hit the towers, as well as stories for some of the firefighters that responded that day. Some of the audio presented in this episode contains content of a sensitive nature and viewer discretion is advised. The following voicemails are from Lauren Brancoles, Linda Grundlin, and Flight Attendant CC Lyles. firefighters experience that day. I get a phone call from an off-duty fireman, and he tells me, Bill, I just saw a plane hit the Trade Center. He says, it sounds like it's going to be something. You better head out also. I get on the expressway, clear, beautiful day, and I can see smoke coming from the tower. But as I crossed those six lanes of highway, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Bodies were dropping right in front of us. One lady coming down screaming, hitting the ground, and then there was really nothing left. 
Um, this is right in front of you. Within three feet. I remember a man and woman jumping, hugging each other. I'm in the North Tower. I saw a bunch of civilians that were exiting a staircase. What floor are you from in the 70th? And I said, we're doing a good job. And then um, only moments later, it seemed I heard, I heard a loud rumble coming from above. I remember I'm thinking it was the building I was in that was coming down. It was the loudest noise you ever heard in your life. The twisting metal and the building coming down as eight subway cars coming into a train station at the same time with their brakes squealing. The only light around was my flashlight. Now I hear these people screaming on the other side of that door, help, help, and all. And I said, these are the same people I just told. Good job, you made it. And I felt so responsible for them. Plus the people that are inside the stairwell were with me. I tried getting that doorway open, and, and I couldn't. It seemed blocked. John DeLara, this emergency service cop, was coming down the stairs at that point. And they asked me, what's up? Just like that, like, what's up? And I said, uh, I think we're trapped in here. I said, get all these civilians. I said, uh, the door seems blocked. And then he and I, we just started bowing against that door. And uh, each time we hit it, we got it open a little bit more. And finally, we got it open wide enough. And, and I remember telling him, if you could see my light, I'm a fireman. Come to my light. About 15 people came to my light. And I remember putting a hand on the wall and said, follow this wall back that goes to a doorway and go in that doorway. And they did. And it seemed to evacuate that area. And then out of nowhere, he says to me, my wife's name is Carol. I remember I said to him, my wife's name is Cynthia. And then he says, he has a seven-year-old boy. I said, I got a six-year-old boy. And I believe he said that he had a two-year-old boy. And I have a two-month-old boy, I said. That's what we talked about for the next 10 minutes or so, our family. I don't know whatever brought that upon us, to be talking about our families. That's never happened in an emergency situation. It's almost like you're telling the other person your eulogy or something. At this point in time when we were exiting the building, and his sergeant with the sergeant curtain. And he pointed right at me, pointed his finger. And I remember him saying, I think we should get out of this building now. I took one step. I got blown about 40 feet. But I crawled into a window. I just kind of tumbled into the room. I went under a desk. I got into it like a ball. I felt so vulnerable as I was getting buried. John DeLara went down, right in that area where we were. Naming every guy I had breakfast with that morning. There was 12 of us working that day. 
and I was the only one to live, the only one to come home. People have asked me in the past, do people have time to worry? People have time to think? It was so quick. It just came down and that was it. Wow. To round out the show, we have a gentleman describing his experience on that day. Just like any other day, uh, got in a little after six, walked from the bus stop on Bessie Street, said hello to the guards. One of those things, you, you didn't know anybody's name, but you knew them by face, and you just always said good morning, and they'd say good morning back. You drive the elevator up from the ground to 44, transfer from 44 to 72, walk off to the 72nd floor, and first thing I would do is go to the pantry and start a pot of coffee. And then I would walk around the floor, start checking equipment. By the time I made my lap, coffee would be ready. Grab a cup of coffee, go back to my office, and start my day. Uh, I had been on the phone with a friend of mine. And I, it's funny, I just remember the conversation we were having. We both coached youth sports, and our sons played on the same team. I was the head coach, he was the assistant coach, and we were talking about the game. And he said to me, Bob, I'll call you right back. I said, okay, fine. I went up, I had to go make copies. And then while I was making copies, there was this boom and a vibration. And all I said to myself was, not again. Because it felt the same way it did in 93. I had enough time, I went back to my office, I called my, my mother. She worked at an office in Queens, and I got her voicemail. So I told her, let the message to Ma, you know, something's happened at the Trade Center, but don't worry. It's the North Tower, it's not my tower. After I called my mom, I called my wife. She's at her office, and I asked her, are you watching this? She's watching what? And I mean, in 93, not every office had televisions. And I'm explaining to her what's going on, and while I'm on the phone with her, there's a sudden swoosh, bang, boom. Three sounds and a violent ride thrown forward and back numerous times. Uh, like I said, I was in an office at first watching from the north. The office that I had was in the southeast corner. And the plane came in on the, north, the southeast corner. I was on the 72nd floor, and the lowest point, I believe, of the plane is 78. So it missed me by six flights. And after the floor stopped shaking, picked up the phone. My wife had heard the explosion. She was screaming, what was that? I told her I didn't know. Something exploded. Uh, she told me, get the hell out of there. And my, my last words to my wife would have been, all right, I'll call you later. As we're walking out onto the floor to head to the stairs, I realize uh, our receptionist had left a sweater behind. So now I've got flashlight, I've got water. How am I going to cover my face? I took my handy-dandy Swiss Army knife out, and I cut the two sleeves off, and we made turtlenecks. Kind of looked like Bazooka Joe from the comics. Pulled them over our faces, just enough. All set to tackle the floor, tackle the stairs. Down the stairs we went. We met some people along the way. Some people wanted our help. Some people didn't. Some people I sent help to. So there are people in there that I kind of feel bad about. And I, I knew they didn't leave, and I knew that I had helped send help to them 
and I know that the help didn't survive. One of the things I did, even on I-11, I used a ploy when we met the two women that needed help. Uh, the pregnant woman always wanted to stop. I mean, she'd do a floor and stop. I'd give her water. I, I took part of the receptionist sweater. I'd soak it, and I'd give her a little sponge bath on her head just to get her going. But, geez, as soon as we get one floor down, I want to stop again. And something from coaching. And when the boys do their push-ups, I'd always tell them, give me one more. If you can do 10, try to give me 11. You can do this. And she'd give me one floor, and she'd want to stop. I'd say, give me one more floor, then we'll stop. I'm not going to stop every time you want to stop. We'll never get out of here. I do carry a piece of the receptionist's sweater every day. It's in my wallet. Marilyn was her name. I even told her that uh, I apologized. I said, do you remember that sweater you left on the desk? She goes, yeah. I said, I, I cut it up and I used it. I used a, a Swiss Army knife that day. Thank you everyone again for joining us in honoring the people we lost on that day.